This episode was written during the 2023 WGA and SAG-AFTRA strikes. Without the labor of the writer and actors currently on strike, the movie being covered here wouldn't exist. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Roll for initiative. From the silver screen to the GM screen, Never Say Die asks, what can we learn from movies to enhance our role-playing game experience? I'm Rafe Telsch, film critic. And I'm Drew Meyer, gaming enthusiast. And we've had several weeks to think about anything we may have missed about our current movie, which is Vampires vs. the Bronx. But before we get to those thoughts, because this is a podcast about movies and role-playing games, Drew, are there any movies, games, or podcasts you want to recommend to me or our audience? Rafe, there are so many movies, games, and or podcasts that I would like to recommend to you and our audience. But let's start with the movies first. Uh, I think like a good chunk of the world, I went and saw the most recent Indiana Jones film. No spoilers for that film. Um, But leading up to it, we decided to watch a couple more of them. And and after the film, we decided to watch the rest of them. Uh, So I have watched all five of the Indiana Jones films. Well, I have tried to watch all five of the Indiana Jones films. Uh, since the last time we talked. Okay, I feel like there's a story in there. What do you mean you've tried to watch all five of them? I got about 30 minutes into the Temple of Doom and went, wow, I can't stand Willie, and this is racist as all get out. And um, I just turned it <laughs> off. It was just, are there amazing moments in it? Absolutely. Uh, I'm just going to file that away as maybe I'll just try to watch it another time. But uh, yeah, couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. I have uh, not tried. I, I I should have tried to watch the uh, the the first Indiana Jones movies before going to see the most recent one, uh, and I just ran out of time and didn't. I actually don't think I've seen Temple of Doom in like twenty years, so it very well may be as racist as you think it is. And I'm, I mean, I'm sure it is. It's and it really, I think uh, you know, knowing behind the scenes that <laughs> those guys were going through a, a divorce, it's. You know, there's a there's a lot of misogyny, and the opening scene in that film in Club Obi Wan is so good. Yeah. It's so good. The setup is so good. But yeah, I couldn't stand Willie, and um, I'm not saying it's a bad film. I'm just saying at that time it wasn't what I wanted to watch, and Makes so sense. I didn't. But um, having rewatched Crystal Skull, uh, I think I think I liked it better than I did um, upon an, an initial release. Anyway, um, you know, the parts that I didn't like, I I really still don't like. There's still a level of charm to it. But, um, I, I don't defend the movie, but I did like it. I enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, I think the expectations post-Last Crusade were so high, no film was going to be able to live up to that. I think Last Crusade is my favorite of the Indiana Jones films, too, which isn't really uh, it's kind of surprised me, but I um, really enjoyed that one. Hot, hot take there, Drew. Hot take. <laughs> um, less of a hot take, because I have the, uh, the... I'm backed by the Academy Awards from 1934... Uh, I finally got around to watching It Happened One Night, which Mm. is the first screwball comedy, and it's a perfect film, and, you know, it's the first movie to sweep every award it was nominated for at Academy Awards. It's the film that inspired the creation of Bugs Bunny. It's it's really just excellent and charming and witty, and, you know, there's like a couple of issues with it that, you know, for modern audiences, but on the whole... I was so impressed with it. It was one of those things where I've been hearing and hearing for years about this, you know, classic black and white film. And I don't know. I'm usually not in the mood for a rom-com, but it was our anniversary, and I was in the mood for a rom-com. And, um, and it was great. 
It was really good. Nice. And other than that, I've been watching a lot of Star Trek Discovery for my other podcast that I do. Uh, one of our guests wants to talk about Star Trek Discovery. I hadn't given it a shot. I know it's not a movie. It's a TV show. But the reason I have not watched more movies is because I've been watching episodes of that. I think it's really good. Um, yeah. I'm kind I, of in the mood for more Star Trek. I enjoyed it. Uh, I, I It took a little while for me to fully get on board with it. Um, mm -hmm. But I, and I actually haven't watched the most recent season. But I I've, I've been watching uh, Str Strange New Worlds. It's the first time yeah. I've really just been watching it as it comes out. Normally I binge watched them all together once they're out. But it's the first. Uh, I, I love the first season of Strange New Worlds so much that I just kind of had to keep on it when it as soon as its new season has come out. Especially since it has the crossover with Lower Decks. <laughs> It's, a, it's, a, it's amazing how quickly that got spoiled on the internet. It got spoiled like at Comic-Con when they um, when they first announced it. Like it was like it was like, hey, we're doing this now. And now that left all of us going, how are they, is it going to be an animated episode? Is it not? You know, what are what are they? How are they going to handle that? And I will say they handle it quite well. I'm glad to hear that. I enjoyed it. Um, also, it's directed by Jonathan Frakes, so uh, well, not a surprise there. Um, <laughs> I also have seen the most recent Indiana Jones movie. I liked it. Yeah. I probably would still say Last Crusade is my favorite, but I enjoyed it. My son uh, has been involved with Bandcamp. I just finished uh, doing a play, so that kind of cut into my movie time. Brought my new movie a day during the summer to a grinding halt. <laughs> um but because he's been doing all this band camp stuff and his availability has been really limited, he, he wanted to go see Oppenheimer. So we realized, okay, well, last Saturday was the only chance we were going to get to go see it together. So we went and sat in a theater for three hours because it's a three hour long movie. And uh, I really enjoyed it. It's good. It's a little slow. It could have been cut in a couple of places, but some of the performances, especially Killian Murphy and Robert Downey Jr., they're going to come up at Oscar time because they are well-deserved. They're, they're brilliant cool. performances. That's cool. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Not the first thing I wa I'm kind of in the mood to watch, mm -hmm. but you know, as the reviews are coming in and as all the people whose opinions I respect are coming back saying they loved it, you know, I, I don't I, I'm not going to be able to pull the Barbie, Barbenheimer or whatever it's called. I, I really wanted to, but because of my son's availability, we only could pull, and, and me doing the play, we could only pull off doing one of them, and that was the one of the two that he wanted to see. He does not have any interest in seeing the Barbie movie. I get it. Young boy. I do. Uh, that so of do the I. two films, I'm definitely going to go see that one, mainly because, you know, Shooty Got was in it, and Shooty Got was going to be the next Doctor on Doctor Who, and I am, of course, a Doctor Who person, so uh, um, that, and I mean, it just, it looks, it looks fun. Yeah. Hey, anything else? Uh, yeah, I'm um, preparing. I, we've talked on this podcast several many times about everyday heroes and their different cinematic universes. And uh, one of the cinematic universes they have is Kong Skull Island that they also did the extended campaign Kickstarter for. So we talked about that as well. I'm trying to pull together a group to run that, and that means trying to make sure I'm familiar with that world. So I am checking out their MonsterVerse collected universe, kind of like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but they're doing this MonsterVerse. And it starts with 2014's Godzilla, which I saw in theaters and did not like to the point that I came home and watched Cloverfield because, by God, I wanted a movie with kaiju in it. <laughs> and so I revisited that one. What I love about that is there's actually less of the Cloverfield creature uh, than there was Godzilla in the actual on screen, but I completely but, but the understand your take. The threat is of it. there as opposed yeah. to the threat of Godzilla, which just. Yeah. Yeah. I, I rewatched it. It is a better movie than I gave it credit for originally. It's still kind of disappointing, but it kicked off this monster verse, and I'm looking forward to watching the other movies in the uh, series, but that's the only one I've gotten down so far. I love Kong Skull Island. 
I thought it was a fabulous film. And again, I've, I've spoken of my love for strange science fiction islands and, and horror island, just the genre in general. Of the five that are out of the legendary monsterverse, Kong Skull Island, hands down my favorite. Um, it's so bonkers. I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing what you have to say. Have you seen Shin Godzilla? I have not. That's okay. also, I, I, I need to do some Godzilla catch-up, I've learned. I, I, I have some that I've watched since I was a teenager, and then I have a lot that I have not watched at all. I wonder if we could do an uh, online Godzilla watch-a-thon, because <laughs> I, I'm always up for some Godzilla. Uh, Shin Godzilla is just a, a, a fabulous film, definitely my favorite of the Godzilla movies. And the Shinverse is kind of up and coming too. So we had um, Shin Ultraman that came out, saw that in the theaters. Mm -hmm. And this week, they're calling it Shin Master Rider, uh, has just dropped on streaming. So I'm, I'm going to probably take a look at that this weekend. Hmm. Uh, it's not a character that I am familiar with. I actually wasn't all that familiar with Ultraman either, even though I have quite a few Ultraman figures. <laughs> go, <laughs> go figure. Uh, that's the life of a collector. Well, that's a lot of movies to talk. Um, All right, what about RPGs? What have you been up to in the world of RPGs, Drew? Uh, I've only played one. Uh, I ran a game for my teenagers fairly recently. It was really excellent. I worked really hard on kind of setting up this world where a goddess of chaos has... Her influence is slowly growing, so every single game that we've played, month by month, uh, it's getting more and more chaotic. So the rules change, and things change on a dime, and there's charts and dice rolling and stuff like that. So that was really fun. It's it's fun to kind of play around with the environment. I think it's one of those things where sometimes um, you can change your characters, you can change the monsters they fight, but I think the environment might be the best way and my favorite way to engage with players when combat scenarios are necessary because if you change the environment, it doesn't feel like, oh, we're just going through another combat scenario. Mm -hmm. Some of my players really love combat scenarios, but some of them don't. Uh, but if you make it weird and you make it engaging or we have to make them think about like where they step and where they're not going to step and should I step on that rune? The answer is no, but they did it anyway. <laughs> um, then that usually has a way to pull them in. A couple of more things, though, that uh, as far as role-playing games are concerned, uh, based on your recommendation, actually the recommendation of several other people, I did purchase the 2024 Quest calendar. Um, I think it was the anthropomorphic animals uh, that kind of pushed me into it and I saw the trailer uh, Kickstarter trailer where you could be a squirrel so um, I'm into that I, I picked that up as well I, I haven't touched the 2023 calendar yet it's still sitting right here at my desk unopened and we're in the end of July I need to fix that <laughs> Uh, I am definitely one of those people that when you have a calendar or word a day or anything like that I, I'm, I'll jump on that so role playing game makes the most sense uh, I picked up Keys of the Golden Vault, which is a Dungeons & Dragons source book on heists because mm -hmm. I just feel like there's not enough literature out there on good heist games. Of course, there's the Leverage game, and, and of course, you've got Blades in the Dark. And there's there are other games out there, but uh, it is one of the things where I can't just keep on signing on to the internet every time I want to run a game. It's nice to have something to set up. So that's really cool. I'm looking forward to that. I did some logistics work for a... for Not for a role-playing company, but for the advertisers for a role-playing company. And this is for a, a company called D&D Adventure Club, and it is specifically um, short adventure modules for very young players. And it's a monthly subscription service. One of my friends is, is kind of working for their ad folks and, and kind of how to get it out there. We talked for a couple hours, um, and they sent me a thank you of, of several of the modules, and, and um, they're gorgeous. 
nice. I haven't played them yet, but I have started an 8 to 11-year-old adventure club at my library. It's going to start it next month. And I am going to use those adventures for it. And I'll tweak them to, you know, give it my usual flair. But uh, I'm really excited about it. And it's one of those things where if I really, really like it, I will probably endorse it here on the podcast a couple of times. Because I know that we have parents listening and who are always looking for help. Because being a parent is really busy. You don't always have a lot of time to sit down and really focus on uh, getting your stuff together for the kids. So having this kind of help for like, it's like 10 bucks a month. Um, and they're, they're really gorgeous little books. So there's that. The Ennies, the Ennies are happening right now. Gen Con's happening right. this weekend. So you can still vote for those Ennies, I think until August 3rd, maybe it's next weekend. I think that would make the most sense. There are a lot of really great games and a lot of the great creators uh, involved in writing and art and, and game design and rules, all the fun stuff that makes gamers excited. Um, so if you can just go onto the Ennies 2023 site and vote for the ones that you like, that really goes a long way to helping um, just to get the word out there. And more than anything else, if it is nominated for an any, chances are it's a good game. So maybe you just didn't hear about it, kind of flew under the radar. That's a really good time. We'll talk more about any nominated games here at the end. I know it's a lot of stuff, but uh, Rafe, how about you? Have you gotten a chance to play anything? I with have. With all the uh, other stuff that you've gotten? I, I have. Uh, I, I got my copy of Tales from the Red Dragon Inn, which I backed on Kickstarter. Um, I don't think we ever talked about this on uh, the podcast. I think that was something I backed before we started doing the podcast, or, or maybe mm-hmm. I did. I don't I don't remember. But um, it is uh, a kind of a board game, but D&D type game, but it's for one, two, like six players. So it was something I picked up going, hey, it's a single player game. I can play it by myself. Uh, so I got that and I was like, oh, this is impressive. And I opened it up and uh, I made the mistake of asking my girlfriend and my son if they wanted to play. There are something like 25 scenarios. No, much more than that. There's a ton of scenarios in this game, but it, it's uh, it goes through a story. So you run the first scenario and then oh, at least cool. the second scenario and your characters power up and that kind of stuff. And we had so much fun playing it that now I'm not allowed to play it by myself. <laughs> oh, no! So we've only done a couple of scenarios on it, because again, our schedules got really busy, but uh, I am looking forward to putting in some more time on that. It was It's a lot of fun. Um, and then last time on the podcast, I mentioned Kingdom 80s, a video mm-hmm. game that I had uh, discovered that was very kind of kids on bikes. I finally got to play it last night, uh, and uh, I've only played for like an hour. It's not a... St- it's not as story heavy as I would like to it, it to have mm. been. It's not really an RPG. Um, it is a, a like a tower defense game to some degree. Uh, but I'm having fun playing it, and that's kind of you know. I mean, it's it's like eight bit graphic type stuff, and you're 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 rolling around on your bikes, and it's just and yes, I picked up a couple of friends, but they don't really contribute much to the story as as much as I'd like. It just they give you more abilities and stuff. Gotcha. But uh, I do recommend it if you like those kind of games. It's 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 fun. It's on Steam. Uh, cool. As I said, it wasn't that expensive when I picked it up. Uh, what about podcasts? I, I'll, I'll go my podcast thing really quickly. Yeah, please do. Um, and that is uh, Cinema to the Letter is a new podcast from uh, my friend and colleague Thomas Mariani. We talked about his former podcast on here a couple of times with Double Edge, Double Bill. We talked about how they closed up shop because they knew that Drew wanted to come on as a guest. Uh, so they just <laughs> shut the whole podcast <laughs> down. Uh, this is his new podcast. It's called Cinema to the Letter, where they tackle a t- topic of movies over the course of six episodes so they do like six episode sprints and then they'll go on hiatus for a while and that way it's not a weekly show because weekly shows can grind people down i know Mm -hmm. i've killed them i mean i've done them um 
But uh, they they're out. They've got. Uh, I think they put out the third episode this week. Which and they've been. It's it's an interesting podcast. It's it's worth a listen. How about you, Drew? Off. You're you're the podcast guy. I am. Uh, I, you know, for the most part, I held off on getting any new podcasts, but I started to wear the podcasts out that I had been listening to. So I went looking for some new stuff. First off, um, to toot my own horn, with the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who coming out, mm-hmm. I've just uh, been getting excited about that. So I'm on three monthly Doctor Who podcasts. So I, we've been just been doing more stuff, uh, engaging, talking about what we're going to do for the anniversary. There's a Doctor Who podcast day that's happening on August 9th. So I've been working on that. Um, and then... Uh, as far as podcasts where I don't, uh, I have nothing to do with them other than as an active listener, uh, two. So the first one is called Progressively Horrified, and, and this is a, a, a friend of mine, Jeremy Whitley, who's an f- amazing comic book writer. You can just look up. I, otherwise, I'll just gush for the next 15 minutes. Uh, so Progressively Horrified is the horror review podcast that holds horror to standards it never agreed to, finding feminism, racial justice, LGBTQ plus representation, and discussion of mental and physical disability in the works of horror. So they're looking at horror films where, you know, and, and through a lens that I feel like in many ways we also try to do, but they are specifically and, and, and picking it apart. Um, and it's not negative, which is what I really liked about it. So, you know, what do you think I, was the first episode I listened to, Rafe? There had to be an episode on The Thing. Yeah, there was. Uh, <laughs> and I think they did a really good job. I mean, you know, again, you're talking about a film in which there is uh, no representation of women of any kind other than right. Adrian Barbeau's um, uh, name, uh, a voice <laughs> the, being on the, the, computer, on the computer. The chess computer. Yeah, <laughs> which is destroyed really quickly in the film. Um, but still the conversation is really good and occasionally they'll have discussions where it's not horror films like there was one where they talked about representation in one of my favorite animated films from my youth which is called flight of dragons it was really nice to see a podcast about that because i don't know many people who know that podcast Uh, sorry that movie so uh that was really fun i like that one and then today in between the time i updated our notes and then we started recording I found out a new podcast that I'm very excited about, called Ludology. So this is Erica Boyers and Senfu Lim. They have a deep dive into a single topic specifically about game design. Uh, And they're 300 episodes into this. Yeah, we talk about that. Um, So just some of the episodes that I haven't listened to yet, but I'm really excited to dig into. They have two-part episodes on um, tabletop role-playing games for kids, specifically how parents and teachers in education can present those as learning experiences and keep kids from doing bad stuff. Um, They have an interview with Spencer Stark, who did Alice's Missing, Icarus, and Kids on Brooms. And then, uh, Avery Elder, uh, Monster Hearts, Dream Askew, and of course, The Quiet Year. So I'm really, really, really looking forward to uh, those. So uh, I got a feeling that Lidology is really going to become a favorite of mine, especially within a couple of days of recording new episodes of this podcast. So watch out. I'll have even more stuff to write about. <laughs> there we go. All right. Yeah. I, I, that sounds up my alley too. Both of those sound yeah, up yeah. my alley. So I may have to yeah, give yeah. them a listen. And I say that all the time with podcasts you bring me and then I just don't have time to get to them, but I, I, I probably will, will try and make an exception in these because they're pretty cool. All right. Um, so we have a lot to talk about in this episode, even though we just spent 20 minutes talking about what we uh, have discovered <laughs> in the, the three weeks since we recorded our main episode. We do need to talk a little bit about our second opinions, but we have some other exciting stuff to talk about as well. So and then, of course, we have. Oh, wait, we don't have the next movie to announce. Or do That's, we? 
Because um, <laughs> this is the end of the season. So we will talk a little bit uh, about where we go from here uh, as we wrap up the season. We are not wrapping it up in this episode. Don't worry. So second opinions on Vampires versus the Bronx. Drew, movie-wise, what do you feel like we missed with this? I don't think we missed anything. Me neither. I, we, I feel like we covered it really, really well. Um, and, and the same kind of goes for the role-playing game. And it made me worried slightly. Because I feel like usually when we get to a film, I, there's some major thing I want to gamify. Something that captures the essence of that particular movie. And I don't really feel like we, we came up with... I didn't come up with a specific rule per se. And I can't decide... If that's because this film is such an homage to other films that we already kind of covered it in the same way that we were sort of talking about, you know, it, chapter one, discovering a small town, those rules and the rules for um, attack the block kind of covered the building of this neighborhood. I think that would have been the main thing is like, how do you, I think the rule I probably would have worked on and again, kind of invoking Avery Elder's name is how do we build the community around the, the physical space, I think that would have been really interesting, but we didn't, and I feel like maybe that's just because we've just covered the basics of this genre so much. Well, we we did talk a little bit about building the community. We did talk mm-hmm. about creating a map uh, in, in our in our main episode. I, I, I think it's exactly what you said as far as because this movie is such an homage, uh, a, a loving homage to those other movies that we've discussed. So, you know, we mentioned stuff that originally came up in Attack the Block. We mentioned stuff that originally came up in The Lost Boys. I mean, we hit on ideas in our gamification and, and in our movie discussion that that echoed kind of other things that we had talked about throughout this entire season, which is part of why I think it was the perfect movie to end the the, the season with, because it, it gave us the opportunity to go back and reflect on so many of those other movies that we had already talked about. Well, I'm glad that you feel that way because I was really happy with it as well. And there was this moment where I just didn't have anything in my notes for a second opinion. I'm like, you know, maybe we're just getting better at reviewing the movie. And I think that's... (laughs) (laughs) I've been doing movie reviewing for a long time. I'm never going to get better. That's just... (laughs) Uh, Okay, so we don't have a whole lot to talk about. That's our episode. No, Um, we, we don't have a whole lot to talk about as far as Vampires versus the Bronx. But Drew, right on the eve of us having recorded that main episode, something fun, something wonderful happened uh, in our email box. And that is the official PDF release of Kids on Bikes Second Edition. We finally now we have been working from a working copy, and I mean it was rough. uh, Living document, since since yeah, since we were allowed to talk about it, we've been working off of that as far as like troping our characters and and referencing like bikes and that kind of stuff. Um, But this was the actual. If you backed it on Kickstarter, the digital copy that you're getting, complete with illustrations and and layout and and it is a beautiful thing um but that brings a lot of changes to the kids on bike system mm-hmm. now we were aware that a lot of these changes were coming but that still gives us an opportunity especially since we don't have a whole lot to talk about with vampires with the bronx it gives us a chance to kind of talk about some of those things so drew that enters into the game territory that's kind of your part so what do you want to talk about <laughs> well uh first thing i want to mention is if if folks 
have a first edition copy of the core rule book, you can still use that one, and it Absolutely. is perfectly fine. Um, it's still a excellent game in and of itself. Uh, this is just a better version of it. Um, I think if you if you're listening to this and you're thinking about getting a copy, I would wait until the second edition comes out. Uh, I think it's it's a superior product, but it's still you already have something that's great. They just made it better. And then yeah. more. There's more of it, I think, which is... And there's a lot of stuff that's coming out along with it. So let's talk about kind of the main things that got changed or enhanced. First off, expanded tropes. They've almost doubled the the number of tropes that are in the game. Quite a few really cool ones. You know, we mentioned, like... Uh, the cunning detective. Before we've we've just we haven't really talked. Did we talk about Freakazoid? Yes and no. I, I, yeah. I, I, no, I don't think we have specifically mentioned that one. No. A Freakazoid is is their replacement of the loner weirdo. I know that both Doug and John were like, we feel like the term loner and weirdo is maybe a little unfortunate terminology, um, mainly because it gives players who maybe aren't as experienced as role players an excuse to not join a group when you put the term loner in there, um, which was causing some issues. Uh, Let's see another one that they had in there. Of course. And when I hear, when I hear Freakazoid, I just hear the theme song from the cartoon. Freakazoid. Floyd the barber cuts his hair. Freakazoid. 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 (laughs) Should we do a Freakazoid podcast? We could just rewatch every episode. (laughs) Such a good (laughs) show. I have some of it on DVD. (laughs) Oh yeah. No, it's, it's really cool. Um, no, there's some really good ones um, on there. We could go through each one of them if you'd like, but I, I think we've discussed quite a few of them. I think one yeah. of the main changes that that really applies, especially to my team, is they got rid of the bully and they've returned, made it the unlikely ally. And I think what's nice about this is unlikely ally really opens the doors for any number of backgrounds for, for young characters. Sure. Uh, and an unlikely ally can actually be... I think all three age groups, which is really nice. I mean, they say can be all of these can be all all three age groups for the most part. But yeah, so like for instance, when I go back and I restat the characters that we had statted in the first half of the season before the second edition was announced, you know, I've got Moses. Moses is an unlikely ally. Moses, right. let's face it, is very much a bully still. But the fact that the character becomes an ally to people outside of his social group really drives that point home things like prom royalty is another really cool one silver spoon is another really cool one Mm -hmm. um having having a character whose wealth is a really important one uh animal lover is a really neat one too um it's it's a different type to the scout it is really neat um there's quite a few that will apply to our characters when we go back and change them was there anything uh trope wise that you saw that you're like yes I just love having more options because I know, uh, as you know, I tend to just pull it open and go, okay, what is it? What fits what I want to do? You're mm-hmm. the type who just kind of goes, well, I'll make my own. But so I just well, like yeah. having more options to, to go by. No, it's true. And, and I'm always going to start with what they offer to me. And then if it doesn't fit the way I want, I'll, I'll start from scratch, but it's always nice to, you know, especially if you're showing new players, would have been nice, and I don't actually know about the logistics of this, to have given examples from Kids on Bikes media. So you might be like, you know, so-and-so could have been Moses from Attack the Block, and this one could have been, but you probably couldn't have pulled that off. Well, the the problem with that is then that requires getting uh, clearances on, you know, using those as far as those copyrights and, and right. trademarks and stuff, and it's just, it's more hassle than it's worth, uh, I guarantee you. 
someone who has a you know a small independent website that talks about kids on bikes or a Facebook group, maybe that would be the best way. If someone, right. were, for instance, want to uh, stat every single character from the kids on bike genre over the next. 10, 15 years. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> they have included uh, guidelines for disabled and neurotypical characters, which I think is great, very cool. I originally had written rules, and it's not rules. It's just guidelines. But it's a really right. interesting way of, of looking at it. And I'll be honest, I, uh, I'm hesitant to, to do that for myself because I, I don't feel like I could do it justice. But I right. think with the guidelines, reading through the guidelines, it... it it allows you to have kind of permission as long as you're being respectful. So if that is, especially if you're a role player, if you're coming at this from a role playing aspect, then that's a, a super nice um, bonded actions. Super cool. Um, We've bonded talked about actions, those. Yeah. We talked about those uh, obligations is not something that we really talked about. That's no. a new rule. Um, that was suggested by one of my play testers, uh, Keir Hansen. We basically, it's it's something that you have to do that could not hold your character back. It's not a negative thing, but an obligation helps in the world of role-playing. And rather than just simply saying, I have a summer job, and then forgetting about that, having a summer job can affect how your character role-plays. You know, right. again, zero session, talk to your players about what, what will handicap the game. But I thought that was really cool. I'm really glad that made it into the final cut. Uh, of course, Knacks, what you're good at, we have talked about that at length. Uh, bike rules, the bike rules have been, the the chart of what kind of bikes and what kind of upgrades has been finished. There was a lot of stuff on there that I wasn't sure was going to make it. Right. Uh, they've they've definitely taken some of the things out. They've made the list smaller too, which is what I liked. I, um, and you can always add whatever you want to it, but it's a nice suggestive list. So we talked a little bit about combat and combat in this game is, is referred to as doing harm. And they really emphasize that combat should be done between age groups, and I think the way that they're thinking is we shouldn't try to have adults beating up kids in a game like this, and I think they're right. However, I do feel like in many of these games, let's say all Goonies, that there is going to be a threat that I feel like the kids should be able to fight back, so um, kids fighting teens can uh, or adults make sense, but it's less of a combat scenario. And yeah, I was going to say, but if you look at Goonies, they never actually fight. Correct, so. correct. The threat is there, and they're being chased. Right. But if you do look at something like Attack the Block, or uh, Vampires vs. the Bronx, or The Lost Boys, there is combat. And yeah. so I, it's nice that they have a way to do this narratively. So it's less numeric, it's less actual gamification, and more of a, a system of kind of checks and balances. They're still rolling. So you know, I think it's really important that people who like that kind of stuff... Uh, know that that's that's a part of it. Uh, they've updated the appendix for using powered characters or powered characters. Mm-hmm. If you, we never bought the powered character cards for the first edition, mainly because most of the um, kids and bikes g- gameplay was done online. Uh, so having the physical cards, even though I'll eventually get them in the same way that I'm going to get the <laughs> the wand card game for the kids on brooms, it's it's going to happen. It just because I'm a collector. Um, but the, the, the use for powered characters has changed slightly. It's a lot of questions, which I really like. Yeah. Um, and it's based around, you know, because the powered character is being 
controlled not by one player, not by the game master, but by the table. And so each one takes turns answering questions, allows you to kind of um, piecemeal. This is the kind of gestalt character that I really love. It was the one part in the play test that we really didn't get a chance to explore with our group as much as we did with all the other rules. Through the last thing that they, they popped out with us before the deadline ended. And I know a lot of the other games, uh, other groups did. And I was a part of that and I witnessed it and I, I listened to a lot of their discussions. My group didn't, which is a shame. I really wanted to play around with it a little bit more than than happened. But we certainly were, especially in the game that we played with you and Eric, you were definitely introduced to some powered characters we just didn't get a chance to right uh control them as much so it'll happen so as you mentioned you know i mean we did participate in the play test of this you more than me so you you got to see a lot more of the stuff that was kind of firsthand yeah. introduced by the play testers so uh do you want to talk a little bit uh, you know briefly about what you liked that was introduced by play testers oh boy i just i love so i've i've done play testing for a number of games this was the first one where I saw it being, I don't want to say organically, that seems kind of weird and pretentious, but, you know, we had a Discord group, we would play the games, we would jump on the Discord and go, hey, Doug and John, I have questions about this, or could we do this? And they would be like, that sounds like a really interesting idea, what are you thinking? And we would then email them and write them back, and so then they would be, hey, so-and-so pre presented this idea, pop, here's, some, here's how we think we're going to do this, why don't you play with these ideas in the next couple of days and next session or two and tell what you think everyone would go back they'd play and they'd bring back and so that kind of crystallized those ideas things like knacks and obligations were really cool uh, i thought that really added a nice dimension to the character building like we talked about bonded actions bonded actions i really thought was really cool just having bike rules in general was was really neat and drew drew is being modest here uh, drew is flat out thanked in the uh, acknowledgement section of the book for the idea that led to bonded actions well yeah that is true um <laughs> Which but, is great. No, I mean, I, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I saw the conversation where that was going on, kind of, and and what that led to. And I, and I, I've told you, I love the idea of bonded action. So I, I'm not trying to stroke your ego or be like, hell oh, yeah, go Drew. But you know, it's it's an awesome idea, and you 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 did well, help come up it. with it. So well, and and I'll just walk you know folks through just kind of five. If you haven't done a play test before, this is how a successful play test works. And I'm not saying successful as the play tester, but how um, successful as uh, I think everybody involved would agree. We pitched the idea, my group pitched the idea that it was trying to figure out a way to get the trope of kid with pet. You know, right. I really like the idea of a character like a boy and his dog. You mean um, like I have specifically. on my team? Yes, like you have on your team. <laughs> and this came about after Lost Boys because we were trying to figure out how to, to gamify in a nook. And we pitched it, and they're like, not 100% sure that this was a, is going to be a good one. How would you make it work? And we pitched some ideas, and I think that's sort of how Animal Lover came about as a, as a trope. It's not quite the same. Then we pitched it as an idea of what if there was some kind of connection you could get it like in your backpack, like dog. But there was a bond between them, and when the dog is present in the same way like a, when a bike is present... So we pitched that idea, and a couple of people had a discussion. And then, you know, it, it, as it usually happens, I think it was probably in the shower. And, and like, I came up with the idea of, like, what happens if people in character creation create came up with a bond, uh, a way that, that made sense. Because, actually, we were also discussing, I think possibly with Lost Boys, what's it like having a brother or a sister? 
because there's mm-hmm. no trope for sibling. And so we kind of pitched good sibling work, and they're like, nah, it doesn't really work because if if you have a character who's a sibling but no one else is playing, if it's just you, that's that's a useless trope. So we that kind of fell back into the discussion of the dog um, having a, a, a connection. Like, what would it be to have characters who were brother and sister, at, or you know, or however you wanted to decide that relationship was going to be? Could we make it part of the game? Could we make it a, a part of actual gamification? rather than just simply being narrative. And over time, that just became bonded actions. And then we came up with a list of bonded actions. So it's like, oh, what if we're all on the same football team? Or what if we're both movie nerds? Or what if we, you know, uh, we know this, that, and the other? And so there's a whole list of bonded actions. And so that was just an example of, you know, one group coming up with an idea, pitching it to the rest of the group, them coming up with it. I then kind of took those ideas and those suggestions and pitched it to John and Doug, and they they did their magic. Uh, and like a week later, there was a whole list of like twenty bonded actions. Uh, so that's what's in there. You know, I think there's a couple of other things that that came out of our playgroup sessions that that did make it into it. You know, I'm I'm very glad that they're not thanking us for each and every one of them, but you know, it's nice to see things like um, you know at the beginning of the game, there's questions about the town. Like you, the players answer each question. Well, there's one extra question now. And that came out from another group I I played that wasn't with, that you were a part of. Um, They just kept on talking about the next town over. I'm like, wouldn't that be interesting if part of the way you define your town is by also discussing the next town over? But you did use that in the one with Eric and I as well, because we established because we established that town because there was a rivalry because one of us was a football player, a high school football player. So we had to have a rivalry. So, yeah, we, we used that to establish that, too. Yeah. Yeah. So we we so now when you create the thing, there's a there's a next town over questions. We were coming up with other things that are bikes, like what nostalgic feel do we have about bikes? And um, one of the ones we came up with was pedal power bike lights. Um, right that helped you see in an area and that, that came into uh, it. And, you know, some of the tropes, we had a character in our first game that you and I played before the playtest even started that we were discussing whether or not we were trying to figure out how to define a character who was homeschooled and how if homeschooling would be a trope in and of itself. And I think there's a lot of really negative stereotypes around homeschoolers as someone who, who was homeschooled for a brief period of time. So we we congealed a lot of ideas between homeschoolers and theater kids and nerds. And we really missed the um, kind of weirdo stuff. Um, We just came up with enthusiast and enthusiast, someone who really likes a thing a lot uh, or is a part of a a thing. And it's a way that they communicate with their community. (laughs) So they came up with the, they, they titled it the over eager enthusiast. I'm hoping everybody is laughing at the fact that you introduce yourself at the beginning of the episode as gaming enthusiast, and now that's yes. what you're describing an enthusiast as. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know what? Look, gaming enthusiast is perfect. Uh, that's the not the only trope that kind of described me when they decided to take out um, loner weirdo. I'm like, but what if I wanted to play me as a kid? Uh, so, you know, freakazoid. That this discussion about there should still be a, a trope for the weird kids. And they're like, we're not going to call it weird kid. Uh, so everyone threw out these suggestions. I think it was um, John who came up with Freakazoid, which I, I really like. Also from our group, Season Babysitter, Cunning Detective, um, both came out. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff that just from the games I played or the groups I played with just got added to it. It was really nice. I mean, it was really, I this is the the best 
playtesting experience I've had for a role-playing game. And I'm really hoping with their next playtest that may become available very soon that uh, we'll get a chance to do this again. All right. As you can tell, we are very excited about Kids on Bikes 2nd Edition. It kind of makes sense. We've been very excited about Kids on Bikes this whole season. And it seems I'm not sure if it's appropriate or uh, ironic that that Volume 2, the 2nd Edition, is coming out right as we are coming to a close on this season. But hey, we got to participate in the playtest and we got to to see some of it before before that. Uh, but we need to do some more stuff, Drew. We've got other stuff we've got to do. Miles to yeah, go before we sleep type thing. So let's move on uh, to troping our characters. Uh, for the last time, we drafted characters from the movie to our team's. Uh, and we need to trope the characters, and then we will be whittling these teams down. Not today, uh, but eventually we'll be whittling them down to our required lengths, which means Drew is going crazy trying to figure out which characters he's going to keep and which characters he's going to get rid of. Uh, I am as well. I'm just hiding it better. Uh, but first, we have to decide the value of these last characters that we've picked, and we do that by troping them according to the Kids on Bikes rules. In fact, I think it's funny that Drew was just talking about overeager enthusiasts because that, I have at least two characters who I picked that on as their as their trope. Yeah, yeah, rightfully so. Agreed. So, Drew, from Vampires vs. the Bronx, you got Tony, a second uh-huh. adult... I got a second adult. I know. You're only allowed to have one. Uh, And I got Gloria. So how did you trope Tony? So, um, you know, anyone who listened to the last episode knows that I guilted Rafe into uh, not (laughs) choosing Tony because Tony is the perfect summation. Tony is the cornerstone for my, my team of parentless kids. Um, of course, Tony runs his store where the kids essentially it's a, a safe place. Uh, it's a sanctuary for the kids in the in the borough. So uh, first thing we do is we're going to trope his fear. And um, I think Tony's fear is is losing the store. Now, the store could be in quotation marks because I think while he is worried about the store, I think he is worried about the stores, the loss of the store for the ramifications for the rest of the neighborhood, um, yeah. particularly the kids, but also the loss just of community, general, the loss of community. Right. Yeah. So. Maybe loss of community. Though I feel like Tony's going to do all right without the store. He's going to land on his feet. He seems to be, uh, without spoiling the movie too much, he would have landed on his feet had he lost the store. Um, so I'm going to trope him as the blue collar worker. It makes sense. It's someone who is has a, um, a nine to five job and whose identity is kind of tied into his work. Uh, though, you know, being a business owner is a different thing than being blue collar worker. But I think it's the closest fits. As far as strengths, every character gets two strengths. Uh, First thing is, um, Tony's protective. Now, he's protective of the store, but more importantly, he's protective of the kids. So in the game, any kind of action that he takes that involves protecting the kids, he's going to get a plus three, too. So I think that makes perfect sense. And because he is a store owner uh, and has access to a lot of items, Treasure Hunter makes sense as well. So sure. he can spend um, an adversity token and gain an item that that he might need. Um, his flaw, well, that's <laughs> tricky. I'm guessing that he is the term. I think I'm gonna I'm going with too trusting, but I feel like uh, what it really is is um, customer like a customer service flaw, where it's sort of like he is trying to figure out how best he can serve somebody else, and that comes up and bites him on the neck. Service oriented, um, yeah, yes. All right, so we have a knack. A knack is something that once per session you can do uh, that gives you a, a boost. Instead of rolling, you can just kind of get a 10 on it. 
something that he's good at, right? Uh, and that's make a sale. I think Tony's very adaptive um, as well, uh, something that we see him selling the usual stuff. And then when um, the canvas bag started showing up in town, he starts selling oat milk and kale. Um, right. <laughs> now, it might be a fairly misguided attempt to to find his customer service, but I think that, you know, let's say the new gentrification was not being run by a horde of malicious vampires, but instead was, you know, ungrateful yuppie larva, then, you know, kale and oat milk might have been good. What do you, you like that Ghostbusters 2 reference? There yeah, you go. Yeah, that's good. All right. Uh, every character has a backpack, not a literal one, but possibly an item, either items, both um, abstract or physical, they carry around with them. Uh, for abstract, uh, ties to the borough and the community. I think makes a lot of sense. He has the parents of the community's trust uh, and discounted products. Um, so I think something that would, you know, <laughs> it might be on its way out food-wise, so it's going to be cheaper for the kids to buy or to have. But they won't be as effective. I think that's, you know, don't want it to, to come across as a replacement for Treasure Hunter. Uh, for physical items, even though it's hard to put in a backpack, uh, Sammy Sosa's baseball bat. Um, it is, it's something that he has hanging on his wall, but he's certainly going to carry it with him if he needs to. And of course, in many ways, it is Chekhov's Sammy Sosa's baseball bat. So, uh, having that, I'll be honest, I could actually see, uh, Tony with a bike, but I could also see him with just a scooter, um, kind of traveling from place to place. So the color would be orange and the game orange is outgoing. So when you succeed, someone else gets an adversity token. Again, it's really about service to the community with Tony. And then as far as the physical upgrade, uh, the milk crate. So it allows you to um, justify, but carrying a large item. Again, he has a store. So anything involving items, I just didn't see him with the basket unless he was making deliveries. And that wasn't something that really showed up in the film. Yeah. How about you? You've got an interesting one with Gloria. How did you, I've been thinking a lot I about Gloria. I had a Gloria. hard time with this one because she's not in a, a ton of the movie. So I I did uh you know rewatch a little bit of the movie where she's in it and I also just had to do kind of some extrapolation of what I think she has. So for example, we start off with her fear. Well, I really don't know enough about her to say what her fear is, but she's a teenager who is uh, always broadcasting and 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 is getting out there. So I think her fear is being ignored. Like if her numbers go down or or people aren't paying attention to her webcast, then I think that's that's her fear. Mm-hmm. I went with a, a trope I have not used this whole time. I don't. I don't know that either of us have used this whole time. And no, and, and rightfully kid. so. Yeah, yeah, rightfully so. She is a popular Rarely kid. Have popular kids in movies like this? No, no. Which is why she's a bit player in the movie. But uh, mm-hmm. so I went. So, but she is a popular kid. I mean, that's that's how communication is being done. That's how news is getting around in the movie. Is is through her. So she's popular. People are watching her for her strengths. I went with cool under pressure, and mm-hmm. then I came up with a new one. You'd be so proud. I came up with a new idea <laughs> uh, called finger on the pulse. And then I realized, basically, it's just intuitive that she knows what's going on around the area. Right, 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 but right, it, yeah. It, so it essentially, it's intuitive. But I was so proud of myself for coming up with something new, and then I realized, oh, no, it, it already exists for the most part. But what I like about that, in particular, is you were adapting to a modern take on the kids and bike genre, which is usually the cell phone is seen as being a negative in the game right. or in movies because it takes away some of the narrative because, you know, you can communicate easier. There's a, the, yeah. Gloria is an interesting character too, because I, I really like what you've done so far. And I, I'll get back to let you do this thing, but I, 
it just because she kind of feels like a tabula rasa, right? Like kind of a blank slate that yeah. we can project what we'd like on her. And I was trying to think of comparing her to someone like Kay, who we don't get much narratively in the movie, but I feel like I know Gloria better than I know Kay from The Kid Who Would Be King, just because of how dynamic uh, a character Gloria is. So I really like what you've done with this one. Uh, well, let's see if you like the rest of it. <laughs> For her flaw, I said she's petty and i did that specifically because she's kind of using her voice she's using her platform to call out little mayor at the beginning of the movie yeah that's kind of like throwing shade Uh, for her knack i called it just broadcasting because i I couldn't really figure out the best way to to put it because it's like you know it's webcasting so it's using her phone it's making sure she has internet signal it's that kind of stuff so i just kind of put it as a catch-all as broadcasting that most gms probably would say is too broad and i'd need to narrow it down but I I like that one. I think you'd be able to use it creatively. Considering who you may or may not have on your team, I think broadcasting works so well. There's a synergy to your team that I really appreciate. Uh, In her backpack, her abstract item is a loyal audience because people listen to her. So there is is definitely benefit to that. And her physical is just going to be her cell phone and broadcasting gear. You know, she probably has a ring light and, you know, that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And then for her bike, oddly enough, I went with an orange bike, which is outgoing, means an ally gets an adversity token when she succeeds at a check. Uh, And her upgrade were trading cards, which are plus one to distractions. And those were bike color and upgrade that were actually significant suggested as part of the popular kid trope uh but i thought they fit her pretty well i almost did that same upgrade because of tony's love of sammy sosa he of course would have a a baseball card collection and i thought that would make a lot of sense putting baseball cards in his or like you know maybe he has a ton of cards that didn't sell at his store like maybe he's got the um oh no i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna miss it i feel like there's a a kevin smith reference to a 90s trading card set some kind of ooze base game that he was gonna give to his mother as a present anyway uh i will find that and i will i'll try to remember it for next time it's a joke that someone who ran a comic book store we had boxes of that trading card left over for like no one wanted them for years. So I thought that was funny. Sure. I think that's really good. I think Gloria is uh, an excellent addition to your team. And the question is, will Gloria and will Tony make our final teams? And you will find out next month as we bring our season to a close next month, we'll be about closing out the season. Cause we've got a lot to do over the course of closing the season. We have to re-rank our movies. We have to figure out our teams. We have to tell you what's coming next. We have a lot coming up in our extra month here. But before we do that, Drew, (laughs) we have some listener feedback. We do have some listener feedback. We have some really good listener feedback. Uh, As always, Graham uh, from our Facebook group had some things to say. Always happy to hear Graham's opinion. Um, uh, This is just a direct quote. This is Graham's quote based off of the last episode, specifically about who he drafted. Rafe, you were a true gentleman this draft, and Drew, as much as I agree that Tony is the perfect choice, like unreasonably perfect, I have had a hard time passing on Father Jackson because, you know, Method Man! And it's true. It's true. Um, That was one of those things where, uh, you know, had Tony not been absolutely made for my team, uh, I, I would have given Method Man's character 
a shout out, definitely. I feel old because I recognize the name Method Man, but I couldn't tell you who he was in the movie until I looked at the credits. Oh, okay. So well, that didn't hold any bearing whatsoever for me. See, the thing uh, is, I thought you were going to take Father Jackson. Yes, um, you did, and I loved Graham's response to that, because you said that, and Graham's response was, so that his team is on a mission from God, a la Blues Brothers, that'd be pretty awesome. And that's that's what I need, is, you know, Edgar Frog and uh, Pests in the car, you know. <laughs> we got a tank full of gas, it's night, we're wearing sunglasses. <laughs> I want to see, I want to run that game with Father Jackson, Edgar Frog, and Pest taking on some <laughs> vampires. That, oof, nice. Graham also asked us, are there any characters from this season's films that with hindsight you wish you had drafted? Graham, yes, of course. Of yes. course, absolutely, 100%, yes. However, we're not going to tell you which of those characters they are until our actual draft, because I don't want to give away. Yeah, because like, there's some characters I definitely wish I had been able to draft by choosing first. There are some characters that I regret choosing. I wish there were a couple characters that I had gotten instead, uh, and we'll talk about those. Again, don't want to give anything away. Yeah. Uh, but then I asked Graham who he wished that you and I had drafted, and right. he said the following. I've been thinking about this for a minute. Thankfully, with the blessing of hindsight, I'd make a group that was uh, brand from the Goonies, all funny or annoying sidekicks, and with Father Jackson as the adult. Lots of Corys, needless to say. No balance. 100% comedy playing off the older brother straight man uh, while trying to be, quote-unquote, moral. And yeah, <laughs> honestly, before we started this, that was essentially my pitch for the, the team of Corys. Uh, and it makes a lot of sense. That's what I thought we were both going to end up with, was that kind of a team. Yeah. I didn't. I did I not did think we were going to end up with this team where we were talking about synergy between characters. I mean, that's, yeah. <laughs> Well, and a lot of it is, and and again, we could talk about this more for the draft day. A lot of it comes into the movies that we picked and the characters we drafted in what order. So if we had started with Vampires versus the Bronx first, you know, like I probably would have been drawn to a character like Little Mare. And Little Mare is certainly a much more hopeful character than the character that I may or may not choose as my leader um, for our group. So, you know, just that order and the way we think about it. You aren't giving him up. There is no way. You are married to that character. Your whole team was built around that leader. You're there's you're not convincing me for a second that you're thinking about giving him up. You think you think I won't give up Moses? But Rafe, I know you won't give up Moses. I've got Cody Walpole. The, the audience can't hear my eyes rolling now. All right. Uh <laughs> what else what else we got in the way of uh feedback, Drew? Well, I was on uh over on X. <laughs> <sighs> Let's just keep calling it Twitter for now. But yes, can I call okay. it the social media platform formerly known as Twitter? Yeah, okay, I can go with. I can get behind that. Okay. I, I'm calling it the social media platform that I've deleted from my phone. Haven't deleted my accounts, but I'm no longer looking at notifications on my phone from it. Yeah, well, um, we still have a, an account for the yeah. podcast. I don't have a personal one, so I, I still engage. And it is, um, in many ways, a way for me to connect with some of the game designers who we really appreciate, and then and movie folks um, on occasion when I remember to do it. Now that it's called X, I'm a little less interested in it. But um, that being said, um, this afternoon, totally surprising me, I had liked and commented on a couple of game designers' posts, one of which was Sen Fun Lim uh, from the Ludology podcast, who I was com- I commented on a post. Uh, he was asking for uh, graphic novel recommendations. So uh, this particular individual, a game designer extraordinaire, I'm trying not to blow too much smoke here, but 
it seems to be that his specialty is in gamifying IPs. I don't know where we've ever seen that before, but someone who looks at something that already exists and makes a game out of it. Uh, I just want to give you a list of some of the IPs in which he has helped to gamify. Uh, The WWE, Marvel, Orphan Black, The Godfather, Dragon Ball, Matt Kent's Mind Management, Scooby-Doo, The Shining, The Goonies. Uh, That would be Escape with One-Eyed Willie's rich stuff. Uh, Big Trouble in Little China and Rafe, the Avatar Legends RPG, which, by the way, is nominated for an any uh, this year for the best rules. You so, mean the uh, Avatar Legends RPG that's sitting on my shelf? Yes, that we, we've talked about on several podcast episodes. Yes. So there you go. Uh, also, a ton of other stuff, including Kids on Bikes. I mean, like, a legitimate ton of other stuff. If I were to order all of this stuff at one point in time, probably wouldn't equal a ton. But you know what? That's fine. I'd still like all of it. So he had this to say. Because I responded with some suggestions for graphic novels, I think he probably looked at the podcast's, you know, the intro and information about it and said, this looks really cool. And listened to it and said, loving it already. If you ever are interested in talking game design and such, I'd love to chat. We may need to have you both on the Ludology pod at some point. So, yes. <laughs> a yes, thousand please. times. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So there we go. Ladies and gentlemen, the the power of... Yeah, the power of social media when not fully corrupted. Well, speaking of the power of social media... See, I'm I'm nailing these transitions today. You're doing really good, man. Uh, uh, We do like to spend a little bit of time talking about crowd-sourced projects that have us excited. I am currently a broke teacher during summer who does not get paid. And everything that I was interested in kind of just ended again, as seems to be the cycle with these. So I have nothing to add. But Drew, have you found anything that you want to talk about as far as crowdsourcing goes? Yeah, I'm actually quite happy that there are two projects that I'm looking forward to backing that aren't about to end in two days, because neither of these projects has been released yet. They're both happening next month. Uh, we talked a little bit that Ojiba, Ojim, Ojimba? Oh yes. boy, I've forgotten already. The, Tales from the Tall Grass. Anyway, the Studio Ghibli-inspired Dungeons & Dragons source book. Which still hasn't come out yet. No, no, no. Hasn't even hasn't even launched its Kickstarter. It's 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 got another couple of weeks to go. Yep. And this one also isn't kicking off until um, September 5th, but it's called The Wilderfeast. And the quick start rules for this are already online. And this is, again, another fantasy a la Dungeons & Dragons-esque kind of thing. But one of the things that I have been discussing with other game designers uh, on the forums has been, how to best describe this, is it enough to just kill something? Now, that makes it sound like I'm, I, you want to be more violent. I say, justification for killing creatures or doing something useful with it. Like, you fight a dragon, uh, you fight an owlbear, what, do you just leave the corpse there? No. So the idea behind um, Wilderfeast, instead of Wilderbeast, is you are what you eat. There are recipes about going out and hunting these creatures or engaging these creatures and what happens when you eat them afterwards, how your body adapts to it. So I think even if it's just simply reading the quick start rules uh, and getting an understanding of how this is going to work, because quick start rules are like 70 pages. You get a lot. Like you you might even have to back the Kickstarter with it. Um, there's a lot going on with this one. It just seems really fun. There's a I've seen some independent folks come up with similar ideas on like uh, a guide of just ingredients to all the different animals that you would find in a, a role-playing game or creatures, you know, like a menagerie or a monster man or something like that. Right. But this is a whole game based around that. And I think it's really cool. I know that my teenagers, just like they would love the Studio Ghibli stuff, would really like, oh, of course we're going to go after a minotaur because if we eat that, maybe we grow horns. You know, like that kind of a thing. Like the, like the combat, it's not just combat, but it's also about 
um, what spices that you cook. You, when you create your character, you're choosing dishes that you're good at. So it, it feels very much like a simulation game sort of like a, a kitchen simulation game that I really, I think I think all of it looks really cool. So cool. I haven't gotten a chance to read the quick start rules. They became available like three days ago. I've downloaded them, um, but I've been doing other stuff. So you know, it, it looks really cool. And that's coming out on the 5th okay. of September. Cool. I will have to check that out because that, that, that sounds interesting. Art's really good too. <laughs> well, I would hope so. <laughs> Most of the time it is. I, I have only uh, really backed one or two Kickstarters where I looked at the artwork and went, <sighs> and it's like, and, and why am I judging it? Like, it's a Kickstarter, oh, no. that they're, especially yeah. like the one that I looked at it and went, eh, too. Like, they're, they're not a studio. They're not a, like, like, you and I both know that some people are using these Kickstarters essentially as pre-sales. Uh, oh yeah, th- 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 this isn't that situation, and I-, I was a little judgmental of the art, and then I was like, "Well, this is a guy doing this, you know, in his basement in his free time. Stop being judgmental." I will say this as someone who ten years ago ran a Kickstarter that failed miserably because we didn't have any art to show, and part of it was, you know, we were kind of new to Kickstarter and weren't really sure how you did it. Uh, and I had to watch a lot of tutorials on how to do successful Kickstarters. We didn't have the money to hire an artist, and we want to pay our artists. Sure. Before we show their art. And that was the mistake is we just needed to upright, just get an artist in contract, get some work done. And we can include that in the Kickstarter. We relaunched the Kickstarter with some art. It was successful. So, All right. Before we get to closing this thing up, we have our podcast homework. (laughs) Uh, I hate you, Drew. Yeah. Listen, here's the thing. Uh, My hope with the podcast homework was going to be that. Both you and I and the audience were going to get a chance to answer some questions because when you mentioned that uh, Stand By Me was one of the five movies you would recommend for right. people to get to know you, and people were like, "Yes, where are the other movies? I want to know what the other." Like, could we engage our audience with questions similar to that? And the answer was, "Nah, not really." So, you know, we'll work on it. Are we going to have uh, podcast homework in the in the next season? We'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> But we have this one. And so the question was, what movie soundtrack would you listen to to get psyched for designing your next campaign? And the important part of this one was not score, movie soundtrack. Because we had just finished talking about movies such as uh, Gross Point Blank, which had amazing soundtracks and a lot introduced us to some really great stuff. And I, For me, the score is one thing, but then incorporating really good music into a film is, is huge. Some of the biggest selling albums of all time are, are film soundtracks. I mean, you think of things like The Big Chill or Dirty Dancing. Those albums were absolutely huge. Having Prince on the original 89 Batman soundtrack, stuff like right. that. Very different from like the Elfman score. Two very, I mean, totally very different things. So, you know, essentially is you're creating a campaign idea. It can be any game. What soundtrack do you listen to to get you psyched up for it? So, uh, Rafe, do you have an answer for this or should I tell you my answer while you think of one i i uh i I will i will be absolutely honest with you i have an answer but Uh i forgot to go back and re-listen to the constraints and i did a score answer so i need to think for a second on a soundtrack answer uh while you tell me yours okay and i'll be interested in your score as well so i i usually listen to scores to get yeah, interested in campaign ideas because, you know, they are specifically supposed to evoke an emotion rather than remind you of a movie that exists. And I have been doing a lot of yard work recently, uh, even even in this incredible heat. And I have been listening to a whole lot of Run the Jewels. And 
I was just thinking about how good that music is and how it gets me psyched up to do physical labor. And I was like, I would love to listen to something similar to this getting prepped for a game that's going to be high energy, kind of high octane. Have they done a movie soundtrack? This is about about a week or so ago. And they have. They Mm -hmm. have. uh, Because they have done the Aqua Teen Hunger Force colon movie film for the theaters colon the soundtrack. And that is the the one that I'm going with. um, Because uh, aside from Run the Jewels and Mastodon, this is a high octane, uh, very loud, very energetic, fairly profane and and, uh, R-rated soundtrack. But one of the things that I have been working on is um, some ideas of turning something like uh, Mad Max Fury Road into a role-playing game. And there's a couple of games that are out there. Not a not a not like Thunder Road, not like a board game, but I want to have a kind of apocalyptic episode maybe for my teens come the new year and so i've been kind of coming up with ideas yes i know that there's an avernus module that has a fury road um racing in hell subplot to it but i can't use that because we can't use avernus at the library i think um i think the parents (laughs) would probably be a little upset there is still a fine line I have to walk. So I have been coming up with Mad Max ideas. Maybe Mad Max meets Zardoz and a couple of other things. I've been thinking about using Troika as a system. So I've been listening to that soundtrack recently when I've been coming up with ideas. And it is producing some really disturbing ideas, but I kind of like them. So in my choir moments, I have been kind of... What's the term? I wanted, I was trying to use a car thing. Downshifting the gear? Oh, boy, I'm really bad. I, I just killed that bit. I really hope you have an answer because I'm done. <laughs> uh, I do have an answer. Part of the reason I had thought about score is because I thought, okay, well, I'm when I'm getting s- designing, I, I want ups and I want downs and I want mm-hmm. fast parts and I want slow parts. And, and a lot of movie soundtracks don't necessarily, especially contemporary ones, don't necessarily run the gambit in, in those uh, uh, varieties uh, the same way that, uh, I, frankly, a lot of movies used to. But the one that, that it came to mind when I think soundtrack, so I'm thinking, like, songs, as opposed to... Mm-hmm. Now, it does have a little bit of the score on it. That's fine, most of them give do. Me that forgiveness, but... And this will get some of, some of my haters out of the woodwork right away. Um, the Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack. Mm. Which has so early the, 90s. Yes, which has the Mission Impossible theme song done by Limp Biscuit, but it has a Metallica mm-hmm. track on there, it has an Uncle Cracker track on there. Um, but it, I, I have listened to it while writing game uh, ideas uh, back in the in the mid 90s. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think any of those games actually ended up going anywhere, but yeah, I, I, it's, it's, I, I like that kind of thing. Um, I don't know that I would go to a movie soundtrack necessarily for designing. I, I think I would look at a score. I would go to like a specific artist or um, genre or something. I don't know that I would go to film for that. I don't know. So what was your score? Also to pull my haters out of the woodwork, uh, a movie that I think was highly overrated. It won an Oscar for Best Picture. It did not deserve it. It is a good movie, not a great movie, but it does have one of the best scores of all time, and that is Gladiator. The uh, soundtrack for that movie is phenomenal. Oh, how cool. Uh, this, I heard the sequel is coming out soon. No interest in it. Again, good movie, not great movie. I've I've rewatched it since I saw it in the theater. I've rewatched it since it came since it since it won its Oscar. And every single time I finish watching it, I go, yeah, it was a good movie. It's not yeah. great, 
It's not best picture. We just discussed it over on our Doctor Who podcast. Um, occasionally, we when a guest cancels on us last minute, we will do a movie t- a movie that we love and pair it with a Doctor Who story that has similar themes. And uh, my co-host on that podcast, which is called Who and Company, talked about Gladiator, uh, which I thought was really cool. Paired it with a really lovely first Doctor story called The Romans. Beside the point. But uh, <laughs> I also don't love Gladiator. I think it's fine. I think it's really good. Yeah. Uh, it's just not my kind of film. But I really do like re- yeah. The score, the score is, is great. Score is phenomenal. I probably would go with um, one of Hans Zimmer's uh, Sherlock Holmes soundtracks it's fun and steampunky especially if i was setting up something that was a little bit more narrative heavy so something maybe like for castle falkenstein you know a very different type of game but i i like the idea of listening to music to get me in the mood for that and a soundtrack sure. score is is it's you're right it's perfect i just didn't want to do it so uh fine. that's and why we did I, it I anyway it. and we did it anyway so there you go all right, so you are not giving us new homework for next month. I'm not, because okay. we we have a, other things we need to discuss next uh, yeah, month. Yeah, we do. So here's the deal. The next episode instead is supposed ending, to be... Instead of ending. Instead of ending. The next episode is supposed to be the finale of our first season of Never Say Die. Wrapping up Kids on Bikes, re-ranking our movies, coming up with our... Final rosters for our draft picks, uh, that kind of stuff. That, that's a lot to do. But at the same time, there have been uh, certain pieces of feedback that I've gotten along the way that were disappointed from the start of this podcast, Drew, because I made a heinous mistake <laughs> in our very first episode. Not our zero session, but our first real episode. I made a heinous mistake by saying that Goonies was the first Real Kids on Bikes movie. And there are many people who argued that I was wrong about that, and they had a valid point. One of the things with this podcast that has evolved over the course of this season is a discussion of fear. Mm. You know, it's now it's the first thing we trope when we pick our draft characters. And so I think we need to play on that and satisfy these people who feel like we have left a key movie out. And part of the reason we picked left this key movie out is because Drew is scared. He is there's fear from Drew, or at least there was 40 years ago towards <laughs> this movie. So instead of wrapping up our kids on bike season in the next episode, we will next month, but instead of wrapping up the next episode, we're going to give you a bonus movie discussion. Ah, uh, see. Much to my horror and dismay, the next episode, we're going to be discussing E.T. the Extraterrestrial. However, mm, God, I just feel bad saying that out loud. <laughs> However, we are not going to draft characters. We are not going to gamify the movie. This is just a way to placate the haters um, who... Maybe even rightfully so. I don't know. It's been 40 years since I've seen it. Um, I've this is a way that, to make that... sure that Drew watches this movie that should have been a part of our film discussion. It should have. Listen, I mean, it should be very obvious to everyone that we probably should have ended with E.T. There are other movies that we should have discussed, too, and we didn't. But we'll talk about that next month. So what we're going to do is this. We're going we're to watch E.T. <clears throat> we're going to discuss E.T. And in addition to that heinous act we are also going to go over our honorable mention list movies that we didn't decide to talk about uh so you know we talked about 12 films there were equally 12 more films that probably could have made the list we're not going to talk about 12 more of them but we are going to 
uh, go over our lists, talk about yeah. what we didn't choose and why we didn't choose them specifically. Right. So that'll that'll give us a chance to to kind of wrap that side of things up, and then we will have an intermission, bonus intermission, where we will wrap up the season as a whole. Uh, so we will we will do all that next month, wrap it all up. Join us in two weeks for our bonus episode of E.T., the extraterrestrial, a movie I loved 40 years ago. We'll see how I feel about it now. Until then, you can find the podcast on all podcatchers. You can email us at theneversaydiepodcast at gmail.com. That is all one word, all shoved together, theneversaydiepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at NeverSayDieCast. We would love to have you in our group adding in comments, telling us what movie soundtrack you would listen to while you designed your game, or uh, arguing with Graham on other points or whatever. We are on Twitter, slash X. We are on the, the social media platform formerly known as Twitter, at Never Say Die Cast. Thank you to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song, and thank you, Megan Daly, for our show's artwork. If you have liked what you've heard, why not? Why not? I can't think of any reason why not. Leave us a five-star review. It helps others find the show. It makes us feel loved. It makes us feel wanted. It makes us feel like you're listening. So that's that's a thing that you could do. And remember, even if the next selection is something that traumatized me to the point of therapy as a child, never say die. <laughs>